Welcome to the first episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we will talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. Since this is our inaugural episode, if at some point in the future you want to hear something or from someone, feel free to let me know on Twitter at BWWMATT or in the comments section of the podcast articles at LandGrantHolyLand.com. Today, we are in conversation with two experts to get you ready for tonight's NCAA tournament game between Ohio State and Iowa State. Later in the show, I will speak with Levi Stevenson, the managing editor of SB Nation's Iowa State site. But first, making her triumphant return to the LGHL podcast feed for the first time in more than a year, is my good friend and one of the most respected sports reporters covering Columbus sports, 610 WTVN's Lori Schmidt. In our conversation, we start with a 30,000-foot view of the Buckeye basketball team in the season thus far, their many, many ups and downs, and what makes them tick. And then, Lori and I, and sometimes her dog Kodak in the background, look forward to what we might be able to expect in tonight's game. We start our discussion as I ask her how the coaches and players have responded to the dramatic roller coaster nature of this season. plenty of plot twists weren't there uh it was a it was a tough season in how streaky it was there there wasn't a little good to balance out the bad when the bad happened there wasn't a lot of bad to balance out the good when the good happened it it was whiplash inducing kind of developments whereas you said things started out really really well and then got really really bad really really quick. bad yeah yeah really bad and then seemed really good again. And then Caleb was suspended and the season ended on a sort of note that you're just, you weren't sure what, what kind of finish it was. And so I would say that the players and coaches through all that have felt a lot of stress. Hmm. You talk, They talked about how relieved they were to actually be in the tournament. Um, so I, I think they felt, I, I remember at one point in the season that Chris Holtman said, his wife made him wake up his daughter and assure his daughter, his eight-year-old daughter, that he was okay because wow. daddy wow. hadn't seemed like himself lately. Uh, and, and that's what I would say the whole team was like all year. It just seemed like there was a weight on them. Hmm. That's really interesting to hear, especially when you juxtapose that with everything we've heard about Urban Meyer over the years about how that the emotional toll of seasons can impact not only the coach, but his family as well. That's really interesting to hear. Uh, hopefully we don't have uh, similar issues that Urban Meyer had in terms of health uh, with Chris Holtman. But it's it's been interesting because I think at the beginning of this season, a lot of us anticipated that some of that stress would be mitigated by some veteran senior leadership from the guard positions, even if neither of those players started their college career at Ohio State. You had C.J. Jackson, who's been in Columbus for a while, but you bring in Keyshawn Woods, who was a, a really solid player at Wake Forest. And I know, at least speaking for myself, that I thought, okay, here's a couple guys who have been through the ringer at a high level of college basketball. The rest of the team might be just freshly out of high school for the most part, but these guys mm-hmm. are going to lead them there. I don't necessarily think that that ever happened i think a lot of the leadership transferred to maybe another guy or two but how have those two players specifically kind of adjusted because they've been asked on the court 
to play point guard, which is a position that requires a lot of leadership, but I don't think either of them are actually natural point guards. How have they adjusted both in terms of the leadership on the floor and off of it as well? Yeah, they're, neither of them are natural point guards and neither of them are natural leaders either. Uh, hmm, Keyshawn is just, he's just a little, he's so hard on himself that sometimes when he's not playing well, it's hard for him to up the sentiment and make happier his teammates. <laughs> and, yeah. and CJ comes across, I mean, these are guys, Matt, they really do care. These were guys that were tearing up on senior night. They were, they really, really love this team, love their teammates, but they're not always excellent at conveying that. CJ has this very laid back attitude. I remember part of the senior day speech, he was saying uh, to the coaches, I know how hard it is to coach me because sometimes it seems like I don't care. So I, I, I think it's kind of a funny combination of them not having the wherewithal to be great leaders, but also the self-awareness to know that. Yeah. <laughs> just something that would normally make for a great leader. But yeah, they, they, they care. But it's not great at conveying that. And, and, their, play, and their play was inconsistent, which yeah. makes it very hard to be a leader. Well, I was going to say that a lot of times leaders come from personality and and their mentality. But other times leaders come from just doing on the floor and you become a leader and a role model by example rather than words. And unfortunately, neither of those guys were able, ever able to consistently produce either as a point guard or a shooting guard to give them that extra leadership mantle. But to me, what was really interesting about this season, and I think it actually started in the Purdue game uh, last season is that really, to me, the leader of this team, and I don't know what it was like necessarily in huddles and in practice, but the guy who looked like he was always in control, at least of himself and giving the the glue that the team needed was Andre Wesson. Ironically enough, mm -hmm. his brother is the star, but to me, this team came and went by what Andre was able to do. And I don't know that he gets as much credit as he deserves because he's certainly not the most athletic player. He's not the most athletic player with his own last name on the team. But to me, he is the heart and soul of this Ohio State team. Is that something that just comes across on the court? Or is he an emotional and vocal leader in huddles and in practices as well? We haven't gotten to talk to him a lot. Really? Um, yeah. It, it, you know, he's... He's a guy with he he's a, got a little of Caleb Caleb's quality where I think his basketball IQ is just a little bit higher than his emotional EQ on the hmm. court. But he is he is a spark plug for this team. It's it's funny the three guys who are really bring that quality. I think Justin Arns, Joey Lane, and Andre Weston, who all bring it through their energy, not necessarily their they're vocal, what they're telling their teammates, not necessarily in their way to see the game, although Joey has that quality, uh, but but through their energy. It's not enough just to work hard when you want to be a leader. You have to be seen as working hard. And these are three guys that bring that. Um, hmm. And yes, uh, Andre's play dictated a lot about how this team did. I think that's an excellent point on your your part. That brings we have to talk about Caleb now. I think a lot of people had expectations of Caleb coming into this season because coming into his freshman season, he was sick. Um, so he wasn't necessarily in the physical conditioning that he needed to be as a freshman to compete at the Big Ten level. 
This season, though, he was healthy. We kept hearing about how he was going to be in the best shape of his life, and he very well might have been. But a lot of the issues that we saw that plagued him last season continue to plague him this season. I, I don't know that conditioning necessarily was the was the mitigating factor there, but fouls and and not being able to stay on the court was certainly something that hampered not only his ceiling but the team's ceiling uh, as well. Is that something that he is cognizant of and and able to to kind of keep focused on on the court? Because even in the Big Ten tournament game last week, we still see him making silly fouls. And he's a sophomore, he's an underclassman, but he is the athletic center and the focal point of this team. You expect somebody who's been in the program for two years to be able to recognize that and to change the way he... conducts himself on the court to make sure he's not putting his team in a difficult situation. We'll get to the suspension here in a second, but just in terms of fouls and and turnovers and stuff, that was obviously an issue. Yeah, absolutely. I think the self-awareness with this team is really, really high, Matt. And I think a big part of that is the atmosphere that Chris Holtman uh, promotes. The, the, The fact that he is so incredibly honest and wants you to be so incredibly honest, have caused players to be honest with themselves. And so I think Caleb is very aware. I mean, he, he was aware coming into the season how much he needed to change his diet. You talked about his conditioning. The diet was a huge part of that. Um, and he dropped a lot of weight going into this season. Uh, and then he he gets on the court, and yes, he he does these silly fouls, and he is aware of that. He's been working to change it. but. Yes, it is an issue and continues to be an issue. But of course, when you've gone your entire basketball career playing this one way, he's trying to change it. But to an extent, it's a little bit like turning around the Titanic. Man, I I don't know. We need to shame Caleb on his size. Uh, I like that, Lori. But um, <laughs> I know I know what you're saying. <laughs> I didn't compare him to the iceberg. No, Matt. that's true. Very good point. Well, but also I think there's a bit in him that I always think has plagued both Shaquille O'Neal and LeBron James. And not that I'm comparing Caleb Wesson to either of those players, but because of his size and strength, I think he does not get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to players fouling him. And then he gets too much attention from referees when it comes to him being physical with other players, where just because of how big he is and how strong he is, I think he gets called for some fouls that aren't fouls. I don't think he gets as many fouls. uh, He doesn't draw as many fouls as he probably should. And I'm sure that after getting beat down in a Big Ten basketball game that is as physical of a conference as you're going to get, that can get to you. I mean, I, I completely understand what you're saying, that it might just not be possible to completely alleviate those issues. But um, when he is on the court, He's a difference maker. What is it you've seen from him this season that maybe has been uh, an improvement from last season or might be something that might even show you that there is still untoward potential uh, moving forward that he hasn't yet tapped into? Well, first, back to the point of officiating, because I, I happen to agree with Chris Holtman on this. Uh, hey, well, hold uh, on. We, ex- we, we need to say. Before we get into any conversation, I don't know what you're going to say, but anytime we talk about officiating, we have to give the uh, the, the disclaimer <laughs> that you are a basketball official and always side with officials of any sport. So whatever you're going to say, I just want it tempered <laughs> by the fact that you wear your zebra stripes very proudly, Lori. Yes, I, I, that I do. But I'm actually going to say 
but I agree with Chris Holtman uh, that, and with you to an extent, that that some of the play that uh, Caleb has been involved with, when he is the recipient of a foul, it's not always called. But I, I don't go to the other end and say that he's getting called for fouls that aren't existing. Um, I, I think he's been officiated pretty well on that end. But um, of course you do. <laughs> those stripes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you look at the players in NBA and ABA history who have the most fouls on them. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Carl Malone, Aris Gilmore, Robert Parrish. You know, they are guys who have that sort of physical mold, you know. Um, and that's that's where Caleb is at. So, yes, I don't know that that's an area where he has a very high ceiling. But areas that he does have a higher ceiling in, I think I've seen his uh, footwork improve a lot this year. Mm-hmm. I think that his ability to pass out of the post, although you cite turnovers a little earlier, I remember you talking about that. I still think that's an area where I've seen a lot of growth and improvement in him this year is in spotting uh, other teammates to hit the ball with. So uh, those are two areas where I've seen growth and expect growth to continue. Well, and also, I mean, I would almost say that even though Chris Holman had to kind of use CJ Jackson and Keyshawn Woods as point guards this year, when Caleb has been on the floor, I think you could almost make an argument that he was in one way or another, a point center or a point forward. Because even though Mm -hmm. he didn't bring the ball up the floor, when the offense was working well, it was working through him. And not just because he was backing people down and putting up shots in the lane, but because he was actually getting the ball in the post and then either drawing a double team, which he was able to kick it out to somebody else, or taking the space if he was on a single uh, and single coverage and getting a good shot in which he was able to do a lot. The problem with that is, is that if he is getting a double team and trying to kick it out, someone else has to make a shot. And that did not happen uh, as often as I think they would have liked early in the season. We saw players like Dwayne Washington Jr. um, Even Luther Muhammad hitting shots at a fairly consistent level. And that's when they started going 12 and one in Mm -hmm. you know to open the regular season you're thinking okay this is going to be a lot of fun they've got some shooters as the calendar turned to 2019 as the season went into the big 10 part of the slate that changed now obviously shooting is shooting but defense impacts your shooting even if you're wide open um and 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 that obviously changed quite a bit do you think that if caleb can continue to improve himself there that there is opportunities for Ohio State's team here in the postseason as they move into the NCAA tournament. Is there a guy that if you needed a big shot, if you needed somebody to hit a three or two down the stretch, is there somebody you would feel comfortable with Caleb passing it out to? Is it Arns? Is it Washington? Is it Jackson? Who would be the guy that you would feel comfortable with Ohio State trying to rely on to hit a big shot late? Aaron Kraft? (laughs) <laughs> well, considering well, know, yeah, considering they're playing Iowa State uh, in yeah. the first round, I think that a lot of people would be trying to bring up uh, bring up Aaron. But I, I, is is it really that? Is that really the best they've got? I mean, is there nobody uh, on the team I, that you would feel comfortable you, with? One point I want to bring up is that Caleb has extended his range, which has been very valuable to him this year. I really like Dwayne Washington's shot. Mm-hmm. Um. He reminds me a little bit at this point in his career of John Diebler at this point in his career. 
so, um, all right, let, let's slow it down just a little bit, Lori. You're, you're comparing a guy who was inconsistent at best to the greatest living three-point machine in the history of basketball. At this point in his career, John Diebler was not the greatest three-point shooter <laughs> in Ohio State history. Okay, fair enough. Uh, John Diebler's game got better when he was able to create his own shot a little bit more. Um, and at this point in his career and in Dwayne Washington's career, they're not doing that. They're not creating their own shot. Um, and, and I think if, if Dwayne can add that to his repertoire, he could head in that direction. I, I'm not saying he's going to be the next John Diebler. I'm saying he's traveling along the same path. He may not end up as far down that road as, as John Diebler did, but that's the path he's traveling right now. He certainly showed at the beginning of the season that, that he could hit shots. Um, yes. and, and, and he comes from a long line, um, both you know, genetically and from uh, he spent one season at a basketball factory out in California before coming to Ohio State. So he has the pedigree to hit shots and to make mm -hmm. baskets. So he showed that he can do it. If you if you see something in him that is Diebler esque, I am all for him continuing to explore that and develop that over his time in Columbus. Yeah, like I said, he may not end up as far down that totally. road as John Diebler did. But uh, he's headed along that same path. And I, I really like his shot. I don't know that I like the fact that my favorite shooter on the team is a freshman. Um, mm -hmm. And that he got a little inconsistent as the season went on, as he sort of hit that freshman wall. Uh, and, and defenses figured out how to play him. But he is the guy that I would want shooting a last second shot if it comes down to that against Iowa State. I don't know we're going to get to that point against Iowa State a very guard talented team. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really am looking forward to seeing the mindset for this game, Matt, because it's going to be one of two things. You heard the guys talk a lot in their press conference recently about how this is a reset for them, that they're zero and zero again, and that this feels like an opportunity to start things over. And the last time they started this season, they started pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and if they do it that way, I think they can do something remarkable. But you also heard them talk about how relieved they were to get to this point. And quite frankly, you don't see runners run a mile after they've crossed the finish line. And I'm wondering if Ohio State already thinks that they have crossed the finish line, that they've sort of reached the goal that they had set for themselves this year. So the mindset of this team, which will be one of those two things, either we're grateful for the reset, we're going to tackle this challenge like it's something entirely new, or this is really what we had set out to do this season we've accomplished it really what more is there for us but it's going to be one of those two things and that as almost anything you're going to see on the court this friday is going to determine the outcome of this game and so i'm really really eager to see that yeah so it's almost like whether they're playing with house money or whether they've already cashed in their chips uh, yep, it, it really is just kind of a different mindset uh, for this team. Well, real quick, I, I know you uh, don't sp probably spend a ton of time analyzing Iowa State uh, basketball throughout the course of the season, but as you said, they are a very guard-heavy team. They don't have a ton of uh, inside presence, much like Ohio State, uh, but they did just win, and this is a fact that I didn't believe it when I looked it up. They've won four of the last six Big 12 tournaments, which kind of boggled my mind because I did not realize that, uh, but they're a team that 
went into the to the conference tournament having lost three games in a row, then obviously went on a run to win the tournament. Not dissimilarly from Ohio State, a pretty up and down conference rec- record for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it will be interesting. I, I know it's we are talking now less than 24 hours after the brackets were announced, but um, is there anything that you've seen or read or heard about Iowa State that A, gives you a little bit of pause about Ohio State's chances. And then on the other side, anything that makes you fairly optimistic that Ohio State might be able to exploit? Uh, well, anytime you give Chris Holtman time, I like that. I think he's a very good coach. Um, Agreed. And this is the first time he's ever been in the NCAA tournament and playing on a Friday. So you've given him an extra day mm-hmm. even, um, which I found that kind of mind-blowing. Um, Look at you bringing out all these uh, really fun, fun facts, digging deep in that media guide. <laughs> Actually, it was Chris that mentioned it. I, oh, I can't uh, well. take all the credit for that. Uh, Chris had mentioned that this was a unique situation for him uh, in many ways, because this was the first time that he's ever been sitting there on Selection Sunday and going, are we in or are we not? Because mm-hmm. he's always had a really good feel. Um, but he does have an extra day. And I like Chris Holtman's coaching. Again, if the team feels like they're playing with house money. That could be a good thing. Ohio State has some momentum, not as much as Iowa State does, obviously, but uh, it, it's not like they're coming into the tournament having played their worst ball of the season, which happened in January. Um, you know, that comeback against Wisconsin that fell just short, that gave them a little bit of momentum. Uh, the way that they played against Michigan State who many considered a possible one seed was respectable. Um, They had another dramatic finish against Indiana because those two teams are locked in a death match for some reason, every time they play (laughs) recently. Um, So they have a little bit of momentum. You've got Caleb who maybe could take advantage of Iowa state lacking the interior presence that Caleb brings. But the things that really give me pause at this point, just the way that Iowa State's able to run up and down the court. Um, Ohio State hasn't been great in transition this year. Uh, they, they don't do great when they're dealing with pressure. Uh, they, they've been inconsistent with guard play, and Iowa State has some excellent guards. And they have, as much as I talked about Ohio State having momentum, Iowa State has more, having won the, the Big 12 tournament. So... I don't know that I feel really good about Ohio State's chances, Matt, but I wouldn't say that it's a hopeless cause this Friday. As always, thank you to Lori for joining me. There just literally is no one better than her. If you don't already follow her on Twitter, do. She's fantastic. You can find her at Lori Schmidt. That's L-O-R-I-S-C-H-M-I-D-T. Next up, let's turn our attention to the team from Ames, Iowa, with Levi Stevenson, the managing editor of SB Nation's Wide Right and Natty Light blog. In a wide-ranging conversation, which I've condensed for your listening pleasure, we talked about everything from the Cyclones' incredible run to the Big 12 tournament title, the balanced nature of their team, and ISU fans' intense hatred for our beloved Buckeye, rosy-cheeked point guard, Aaron Kraft. But first, I begin by asking him how the notoriously guard-heavy Cyclones might attack Ohio State's best and biggest player, Caleb Wesson. 
I don't think what what Iowa State does like to do at times, not all the time. Sometimes they'll double down into the post. Well, they'll they'll, they'll basically hedge off a screen as soon as the ball is on the entry pass into the post. They'll double down on it to try to force a turnover, and then they'll back right. Then they'll pop right back out. Um, they'll they'll never probably trap him in the post, um, but they will. They'll put some extra pressure on. They'll you know they'll have a guy. Uh, on, on his backside, but then they'll then they'll bring a guard down to try to poke the ball out or kind of just cause some disruption on the catch or something like that. But then the guard will pop right back out. I, th- I think if they if they force the ball down low and f- are forcing Ohio State basically to score with uh, with the big guy, what I can't remember what his name was, uh, Caleb name? Wesson. Yes, yes, Wesson. Uh, if they if they can force Ohio State to be pounding it down low with with Wesson all game and, and making him take contested layups and things like that, I think they'll be okay with that. Um, they know that they they know that they can survive that kind of thing. Um, force some miss bunnies, you know, c- corral the rebounds. Really, if, as long as you don't get beat from outside, Iowa State has an advantage because we are so good from three point range. Um, you have so many good three point shooters, and they're they're hard to guard, so they can and make Ohio comebacks. State does not <laughs> that is yeah. not a strength so, for Ohio State. And honestly, State. from a, and, and really from a personnel perspective, Ohio State is very similar to Kansas in that you have a couple really good post players. Um, a couple talented guards, but not necessarily a ton of a ton of three point threats. You know, guys that are you respect it, but you're not going to like game plan around running them off a three point line well, or anything like well, that. Well, let me let me just put it this way for you: in terms of of three point shooting, uh, Caleb Wesson is he's one of the better three point shooters. Yeah. Not something you want to hang your hat on uh, if you're Ohio State. Well, and and the thing too, I mean, having having guys. You know, big guys that can stretch the floor. I mean, Michael Jacobson is a perfect example of that, where he he can bang down a little bit. He's got some, got some good post moves, but you know, where he where he becomes a huge asset to a guard with four with a, an offense with four guards is that he can step out and he can hit the three. So now all of a sudden he's pulling the he's pulling the center away from the basket. Uh, opens up a ton a ton of driving lanes for you know for Iowa State that has a bunch of good slashers. And um, I think Ohio, I think Iowa State will probably use a similar game plan to Kansas where they'll. They'll basically force the guards to try to beat them from. They'll, they'll basically try to force the guards either to beat them from deep or they'll start running them off the line and basically force them to play down low straight through um, Wes and, and you know essentially make like one guy beat them um, by himself essentially. Yeah. I mean, they're not gonna obviously not just gonna let them score, but you know the you know, I think they'll be okay if they give up some two, some twos in favor of open threes. I think they'll probably be okay with doing that. Um, because they know that they can, if they can run out in transition and start hitting their own three point shots, that they'll feel decent about it. I think. Yeah. Well, looking at how Iowa State is constructed, is there somebody on this team that, if you go in and say Ohio State is going to look to focus on one player to try to shut him down, is there somebody that kind of, if you take him away, the rest of the offense crumbles, or is it because it is so spread out? Everybody, there's four. Uh, players who average double figures is it always that if somebody's down everybody else steps up or is there a linchpin that kind of holds the offense together and if he doesn't go well nobody goes well um i would say the be- the beauty of iowa state's offense is that the, the scoring is pretty well balanced and uh if you i mean if you, look, if you look at the big 12 tournament um i think it was the first game i want to say yeah taylor hart and tucker had 21 Merrill shayhawk shayhawk at 18 Nick Wilder Babylon had eight points. Michael Jacobson had seven. Uh, Cam Lard didn't score. Um, you know, they, they have guys that go that you know, they have they have four really high level scorers, and you know, and then plus you got Michael Jacobson who can obviously do a bunch of things around the rim. There it's it's a pretty balanced scoring option, and especially, you know, you can try to shut down certain people. And then if you look at like if you look against Kansas State, 
Shayok had 25, or sorry, Shayok had 21, Bab had 12, but otherwise those are the only two in double figures. So they really shut, I mean, they basically shut down Taylor Norton Tucker, who only had six points, Tyrese Halliburton had four, uh, Lindell had nine, um, but they were able to gut it out because Mariel Shayok took over and had 21 points. The next game, Shayok doesn't really have that much going on. I mean, he has 15 points because he just kind of gets his, um, but doesn't, you know, doesn't really blow anybody out of the water or anything like that. But then Lindell has a good game at 17 points. Um, the scoring is really, really balanced. And it comes from all over the floor. It comes from the three-point line. It comes at the rim. Um, comes from the mid-range. Um, so I don't think I, – I, I wouldn't think that focusing on one guy is a is necessarily the right strategy. I think the best thing – I think the, the way to – the way to defend Iowa State is to really is to try to force them into turnovers, which generally speaking, they're pretty good at taking care of the ball. But there is a, there are times uh, Mario Shea can be definitely prone to turnovers, and there's there's certain situations where they can be prone to turning the ball over. So it's not there's not really a guy you're going to single out to try to you know they, he's the linchpin of this offense because Shea can go get his own, Talon can get his own, Mandel can go get his. Uh, Tyrese has been shooting more. I mean. Tyrese Halliburton's thing is he's a, he's a catch and shoot guy. He's not going to really like, he's not going to, he's not a shot creator. He's a good assist guy. He's a good defender and he's a good catch and shoot guy, but he's not a shot creator. Um, so if you were to, I guess if you were going to try to figure out a way to get, I would say out of the comfort zone is you would try to make Tyrese Halliburton start creating shots. I guess probably because that's not something that he's done much. I don't know if he's comfortable with it because we just haven't seen him do it. So that would be a, probably a way that I would try going um, running guys off the three point line would definitely be a good idea. Um, I think, I think you still have to play a pretty balanced, uh, defense. Baylor has had a lot of success against Iowa state over the years with zone, uh, basically forcing Iowa state to shoot over the top of them. Not, not something that Ohio state, uh, typically does very well, especially, uh, in games against teams that can shoot. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm not optimistic I, about yeah, that. Yeah. I was thinking, I mean, I was thinking shoot. I mean, they have lots of good shooters. Um, they're not, not like Ty- Tyrese Halliburton is the only like, one that statistically anyways is a true knockdown shooter. We all 44 or 45%. You have lots of guys yeah. kind of in the high 30 in the high thirties. You know, you got a couple guys at 38, uh, Jacobson's at 34 while at 37, uh, Taylor and Tucker's at 32, but he's, he's been hot lately anyways. So you have guys that can knock them down. They're not necessarily true knockdown shooters, but they'll take them. If like, if they have an open three, they'll take the three. Um, so if you play a zone and you for and you basically you, you collapse down into the paint, take away the driving lanes, and you force them to shoot over the top, um, on a bad shooting night, that's where you could you could definitely cause some trouble. With I would say is if you if you got if you caught Cyclones when they were you know threes aren't going down and you play in a zone, because then you're you're basically asking them to shoot out of their slump essentially, and that's tough when you have a whole team that's doing yeah. that. All right, I'm going to get you out here on two questions. Uh, one, I'm hoping um, doesn't make you hang up, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to risk. This is Aaron Kraft. I'm going to be upset. Okay, I'll just <laughs> skip it because it was Aaron Kraft. Um, uh, what's your what's the, what's Aaron Kraft? You talked about how important basketball is to Iowa State, probably in a similar way to how important football is to Ohio State. The the, the interesting thing here is is Aaron Kraft of the recent ilk of Ohio State basketball players is probably the most beloved player. I know that that is not the way that Iowa State fans think of him. No. (laughs) Is he as mythically hated in Ames as he is mythically loved in Columbus? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, (laughs) it's like it's like a perennial thing. Like 
like sometimes I'll just like I'll just wake up and tweet it like good morning to everybody except Aaron Kraft. Just like it's like you know it's been like six <laughs> years like I should be over but I'm just not. And uh, yeah, no, we don't. We still don't like Aaron Kraft, and he still shows up here and there. We did so last summer. We did a whole series called Hundred Things Cyclone Fans Need to Forget Before They Die. That came up in like the first week. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was a miserable series. But yeah, well, yeah, I, I can't imagine why you would subject yourself to because uh, <laughs> that's our that. thing. That's that's our that's our thing is we 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 take uh, we we laugh at our sorrows because now we're like good at stuff. And like we're actually, I have a pretty good football team now. I mean, obviously not in context of Ohio State, but we have, you know, for us, we have a good yeah. football team. Hey man, we, got we love Matt Campbell. Team. Yeah, yeah, don't love him too much. <laughs> um, well, yeah, well, and you know what's interesting is uh, talking about that's like a whole other podcast there. Yeah, we we hit about we hit it on uh, your guys's podcast. So if people want to hear that, we talked a little bit about Matt Campbell and how there was a number of land grant Holy Land writers uh, who were hoping that that would be the person to replace. Oh, I'm, I'm sure uh, Urban Meyer. Although we love Ryan Day, if it wasn't going to be Day, Campbell was high on the list. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you know, I I mentioned on your guys's podcast that Ohio State fans love Aaron Kraft, but he is the kind of player who annoys everybody else. Yeah, we had a plays. couple guys like that too. Yeah, every yeah, those are the guys that you love as a fan. But if there's ever anything you needed to know about Aaron Kraft and you're not a Buckeye fan, this doesn't matter if you're a Buckeye fan, but if you're not, all you need to know about Aaron Kraft is that Dan Dockich loves him. And that <sighs> tells you there you go. If you're not a Buckeye fan and Dan Dockich loves him, that probably tells you everything you need to know about the type of player that Aaron Kraft I is. I bet he's a dickhead. <laughs> Aaron Kraft is a lovely human being and, I'm sure and a great he is. guy. But doesn't mean I wouldn't not- like to throw a basketball at his sack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave that to him. Uh, <laughs> I, I think he can defend himself. But all right, let's get out of here on this. Ohio State, Iowa State, first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, I, I'm going to imagine that you're going to take Iowa State, but what exactly do you think happens? Score, how does the game feel? What does it look like on Friday night? Um, I think it actually there's a chance it could look a lot like the Kansas game did for Iowa State in the Big 12 tournament, um, where early on, uh, I mean, it'll it depend on what the uh, on if shots are falling because Iowa State is is a jump shooting team, and if uh, jump shots aren't falling, it's, it makes it tough. Um, sure. I I think what they'll early on, I think Ohio State will have some success down low, especially uh, getting there as Iowa State you know has to make defensive adjustments, trying to figure out what it is. I think if in the end, I think I mean I think Iowa State's the more talented team. I think they, especially offensively, anyways, are. Uh, really cable and they're one of the more dangerous teams in the country on the, on the offensive end, especially when the ball's flying around um, and, and shots are going in the, the, the kicker with this team has always been defense and rebounding. Um, and it was, it was, it was an experience issue earlier in the season. It was an effort issue in the middle of the season. And then all of a sudden the big 12 tournament they're going and, and Baylor is an unbelievable rebounding team. Like they're like, I don't, I, if they're not number one in the country and re in like just, they're not thought of as the best rebounding team in the country. I don't know who is ahead of them, but I would really like to see that team. Um, <laughs> and they basically hung with Baylor on the boards for the most part. They played really good defense. They outdefended Kansas State, who's one of the best defensive teams in the country. And they basically shut down Diedrich Lawson in the in the Big Twelve Championship game. They, I uh, think they, I know they out rebounded Kansas State by fourteen. I think, and that's with four guards mm-hmm. in your lineup. Yeah. Um, they're playing with a ton of effort and intensity right now. They're playing great defense. They're playing. They're rebounding really well. The shots are going in. The balls are flying. The ball's flying around. Guys are having fun. Um, you know, two weeks ago this team was, you know, people, you know, people were contemplating just not going to the games anymore. 
and they were, you know, they had written this team off. It was on its deathbed essentially uh, with a couple games left to go in the regular season. And then two weeks later, here we are and they're, you know, they're playing probably their best basketball of the season and everything looks great. And if, if the, if the, if the ball is moving well on offense, the guys are still continuing to play with a good effort intensity on defense. I would say is a very hard team to beat. And I think they will do that. They'll make adjustments. They'll, they'll figure out a way to, to slow Wesson down and, and force uh, the Ohio State guards to really take over the scoring, uh, and I think in that, you know, especially on a one 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 to one matchup ratio where you're you're trying to outscore your matchup, I think Iowa State's got more got more uh, high level scorers. I think, and I think it, it could be a high it could be yeah. a high scoring game. I think. I mean, it, it definitely could be somewhere in like the low 80s to mid 70s type thing. Yeah. I can I can guarantee you that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Ohio State's not going to score 80 points. That 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 is not going to happen. Iowa State averaged 79, I think 78 or 79 in Big 12 play. So yeah. they'll they'll try to I mean they'll try to run, they'll try to pick up the pace. They're I mean they're still comfortable in the half court because they like I said they got lots of good ISO scorers. The ball moves well. They have lots of good spot up shooters. Um things like that. Yeah. So I th- Oh no, Iowa State might score 80. Uh, Ohio State is not. <laughs> um that's that's the problem there. But, so I guess uh, if you want to score I said I think as long as they're playing how they did in the Big 12 tournament, I think Iowa State wins something along the line. I would say something along the lines of like a 78-70 type thing. All right. Um, I think I they could get some garbage time points there. I think I think it'll probably be about a 10-point game for most of the game. But if, I tell you what, though, if, if it gets back to the point where the players go back, they you know really revert back to where, what it was during the slide where guys are kind of being selfish and they're not playing good, great effort, then it's... <laughs> Thank you for listening to the first episode of Land Grant Holy Land in conversation. If you are finding the show on the site itself, make sure that you subscribe to get all of the ever expanding LGHL podcast universe, including this show, the mothership hang out in the Holy Land with Patrick and Colton, our new state secrets recruiting show, and one other podcast that will premiere in the coming weeks. Don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at Land Grant 33 and on Facebook at Land Grant Holy Land. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Go Bucks.